It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 302 for July 22nd, 2012. This week, Microsoft haters score a twofer. Why does anybody still use Yahoo? And in short circuits, CEO number three for Yahoo in one year. MSNBC becomes just NBC News. The European Union pursues Microsoft again. And Apple ordered to say nice things about Samsung. More or less. Wow. Check the calendar. Within just a few months, there will be not only a new version of Windows for Microsoft haters to rail against, but also a new version of the Office Suite. This week I learned, and I quote, Microsoft Office 2013 customer preview proves difficult with touch screens. That was the opinion of a writer for one of the tech magazines that I see. I was going to identify him by name, but I've seen similar articles by other writers. So all I can say is, really? What a surprise! This week, Microsoft released the customer preview of the Office 2013 suite, along with the subscription-based Office 365, which might also be known as the Google Docs killer, maybe. The author of the first article I ran across seemed to think that it was important to tell people that Office applications really don't work particularly well on a tablet. Well, I am shocked. Shocked, I tell you. That never would have occurred to me. Now, seriously, though, what do the Office applications do? They create letters and memos. They analyze columnar numeric data. They manage relational databases. They create presentations full of words and graphics. In other words, these are applications that, while they can be used on a tablet in a pinch, are not intended primarily as tablet-based applications. Telling me they don't work particularly well on tablets has about the same value as predicting that the sun will set this evening in the west and rise tomorrow in the east. Who could possibly be surprised that some major publications' lab tests showed that using Office 2013 with only one hand while holding onto a tablet proved to be a real slowdown? If anybody at Microsoft really thinks that people will be using Word to edit long documents on a tablet, or Excel to calculate profit and loss statements on a tablet, or access to manage relational databases on a tablet, then that person should be canned today. But if the people at Microsoft think these applications will be used on tablets to create ad hoc documents, perform quick calculations, or review data that already resides in a database, I think they're spot on. So when's all this going to happen? After hinting that Windows 8 would be available in the late third or early fourth quarter, Microsoft recently narrowed that down to October. Early fourth quarter. This week, Microsoft Windows Division President Steven Sanofsky finally dropped the other shoe. Windows 8 will be released on October 26th. New PCs with Windows 8 will go on sale that day, and upgrades will be available for users of Windows 7, Windows Vista, and even Windows XP. 
If you have any version other than Windows 7, or if you have older hardware, I do not recommend the upgrade. Computers running Vista and XP are due to be replaced. If you want Windows 8, replace the computer. Well, if you're not a certified Microsoft hater, you might be wondering what all this has in store for you. In my year-long sojourn with Windows 8, I have mentioned several times being surprised by how quickly the operating system boots and shuts down. Vista could sometimes take 10 minutes or more to become ready or power down. Windows 7 improved things greatly, but Windows 8 is considerably faster both at the beginning and the end of the day on the same hardware. What I found in my very limited Office 2013 testing is that opening and closing these applications is also considerably faster than with the current either 2010 or 2007 versions. Faster is always better with operating systems and applications because any time spent waiting on a computer is wasted. For that reason alone, the update is intriguing. I won't provide a full review until I've had time to work with the various applications in the suite, but my first impressions, if they mean anything, are positive. Some have already whined about what they call the stark Windows 8 Metro interface in the Office applications, but I don't see it that way. In some ways, there is more ornamentation in Office 2013 apps, although fewer colors. Taming the interface seems to be something that many developers are doing these days. Consider Adobe's version 6 of the Creative Suite. One goal has been to make the interface less obtrusive on the document, whether it's a publication or a photograph or a video. That seems to me to be a reasonable approach. I don't open Photoshop or Word or Excel or Audition to spend time admiring the interface. I want to do something with the application. And if the interface just fades into the background, so much the better. In the design world, the best typography is said to be typography the reader doesn't notice. When typography calls attention to itself, either because it's pretty or because it's ugly, it has failed to fulfill its primary task. The same is true of an interface, I think. When it becomes more visible than the application, something is wrong. So I, for one, welcome an interface that isn't in my face. So without a lot of comment, I provide on the TechBiter Worldwide website some screenshots to show you what the new interfaces look like. Word continues to try to do everything, and with varying levels of success. It is not a page layout program, but it can sometimes be the stunt double for a page layout program. Just don't try any close-ups. The screenshot I selected is an example of a corporation's annual report. In my estimation, Word is the wrong application for that job, but if you're running a small corporation and you need to create an annual report on the cheap, it might serve the purpose. I am more of a words person than a numbers person, but I found some of the features in the new version of Excel that are both revolutionary and useful features that can save time, and I like saving time. The image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website is of a pre-made family budget worksheet that includes some graphical analysis of the numbers. And Microsoft OneNote. The good news here is that the file format hasn't changed as it did between OneNote 2007 and OneNote 2010. The 2010 format works just fine with the 2013 application. So I loaded up the TechBiter Worldwide program summary. I use it to keep track of which topics were on what programs and what's on the schedule for the next several weeks. Having it available online from Microsoft, in the cloud so to speak, is both helpful and welcome. 
One of Microsoft's goals is clearly to provide online access to documents while still providing the power of a computer-based application. I've looked at Google Docs and the competing Zoho applications, but they have consistently failed to deliver the features that I need. Having a powerful word processor or spreadsheet on the computer that also happens to make documents available seamlessly, whether I'm at home, in the office, or on the road, is a pretty exciting prospect. Whether Microsoft delivers on that promise is still to be determined. Earlier versions of Microsoft Live didn't, but I've been using OneNote's ability to share its documents across multiple computers, and even with Android devices. If the Office Suite's sharing capabilities are as powerful and easy to use as what Microsoft created for OneNote 2010 and now for 2013, I think a lot of people are going to be more than satisfied with the results. But what are all the complaints about? What I found to be surprising in kind of a non-surprising way, and also disheartening, is how many negative comments have been posted about Windows 8 and now about Office 2013 before people have even seen it. And I'm not talking here about members of the computer press. After all, they're paid to sell magazines, and apparently the only way to do that is to complain vociferously about anything that might resonate with the audience. What concerns me is the amount of negativity I've seen from consumers who tell me that they haven't worked with Windows 8 or Office 2013, but they still hate it. Vehemently. I'm old enough to remember when the early geeks understood that Microsoft's BASIC was better than other versions of BASIC. I bought an Atari 800 from a store that no longer exists. Various versions of the BASIC programming language existed, a lot of them existed, and Microsoft was considered to be the very best. Since then, Bill Gates has made a lot of money. He married Melinda, even though she was deeply involved with the production of Microsoft Bob. Together, they formed the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to provide money for health initiatives worldwide. And people still hate this guy, his company, and his successor. Why is this? I'm not a Microsoft apologist. The company's made a lot of mistakes. The me version of Windows, for example. Bob and Vista. <laughs> Definitely mistakes. Internet Explorer was rightly criticized for ignoring W3C standards, but Netscape was doing the same thing at the time. Microsoft was hated because Word killed Word Perfect, and maybe some of that is justified, because Microsoft seemed to be pretending to be building OS 2 with IBM when it was really planning to expand the Windows platform. But should that have surprised anybody? Really? Remember when Windows 95 was released? The Microsoft haters back then suddenly proclaimed their great love for Windows 3.11. And then Windows 98 came along. The complainers wrote that Windows 95 was clearly better. Windows ME followed, and, well, that time the Microsoft haters were right, because Windows ME was a turkey. And even Microsoft admitted that later. Windows 2000 was solid, but that didn't stop the haters from telling their readers that they would be nuts to upgrade. How about Windows XP? Oh, it was going to be a disaster. Never be good enough to replace solid old Windows 2000. Vista came along, and once again the haters were right but an embarrassed Microsoft followed pretty quickly with Windows 7, which a lot of us called Vista Done Right. Windows 7 has been widely accepted, even by most of the haters, and it's a pretty good product. So now there's Windows 8, which is the most radical change since Windows 95, and the haters, well, they've already got their knives sharpened. 
I can say, as I have said before several times, that I'm optimistic that Windows 8 will be a worthwhile successor to Windows 7. It's already shown me that it's faster on the same hardware than Windows 7. It will provide a similar interface across a wide range of devices, and that seems to be a worthwhile goal. But until I see the production version of Windows 8 on a production machine running production applications, I'm not willing to call it a success. And I'm really puzzled by those who feel they can call it a failure before it even ships. And there's even less to say about Office 2013 at this early date, and so I won't say it. But I should mention that Microsoft has just reported its first ever loss. For the first time in 26 years, Microsoft reported a quarterly loss for the just-ended period, and it is a big one. $492 million. The loss comes from Microsoft's decision to write off most of the $6.3 billion it paid for online ad service, a quantive. The write-off was $6.2 billion. Oh boy, another big mess for Yahoo. Yahoo has confirmed that nearly half a million unencrypted usernames and passwords have been stolen. You may have noticed an increase in the number of messages from your friends with Yahoo accounts, stating, for example, that they are in some remote location, London, Paris, Madrid, and that their hotel room was burgled. The police are trying to help, of course, but they have no money. Might you send them some cash? Well, of course, the messages are frauds. The trouble with Yahoo security is that it seems not to exist. If you're still using a Yahoo address, I really have to ask why, or I should. But I guess I'll just be polite and suggest what you should do now. It should be obvious, but I'll say it anyway. What you should do is change your password right now immediately. Stop whatever you're doing and change your password now. That new password is strong, isn't it? And by that, I mean you haven't chosen a password such as Kitty or ABC123 or even the word password, and you would be surprised how many people choose the word password as their password. And make sure you're not using the same password for any other service. Why is this? Well, it seems that Yahoo does not encrypt usernames and passwords it stores. No matter how secure your password is, if Yahoo stores it in a way that thieves can obtain it, then your credentials might as well be posted in Times Square. And unfortunately, that seems to be exactly what Yahoo does. We've talked about secure passwords before, but let's run through a couple of the basic steps again. A secure password cannot be a name or any word that can be found in a dictionary. A secure password should be at least eight characters long, longer is better, and it should contain uppercase letters, lowercase letters, numbers, and symbols. For example, capital T, capital B, lowercase s, capital W, at sign, uppercase L, exclamation point, uppercase A, uppercase Y, 5, lowercase I, 1966. Great password, but how could you remember it? Well, just remember, the Beatles sang We All Live in a Yellow Submarine in 1966. TBS, the Beatles sang. W at sign, L exclamation point, A, Y, 5. We all live in a yellow submarine. I used some leap characters in there. For the A, I used the at sign. 
For the I, I used an exclamation point, and for S, I used the number 5. Number 5 looks like an S, doesn't it? And the final five characters, I-1966, well, of course, in 1966. So just remember, the Beatles sang We All Live in a Yellow Submarine in 1966, and you'll remember your password. Very memorable password. Hard to crack? Yes, because it includes uppercase, lowercase, numbers, and symbols. It's 15 characters long, and cracking that code would take several thousand years, even with the most powerful password cracking software available. But I offer this warning. Don't use that password. Create one of your own. Use a book title. Use a musical selection. Use something you'll remember. Just never use a password you've seen described anywhere. And if you don't know what LEET is, check the TechBiter Worldwide website. There's a quick explanation there with a link to an even longer explanation on Wikipedia. In short circuits, here we go. Yahoo, take three. Yahoo has yet another CEO, the third in just a year. If you've been following this train wreck, you'll remember that Carol Bartz was fired after being CEO for less than three years. She was replaced by Scott Thompson, who was fired when the company discovered that he had claimed a computer science degree that he didn't have. Since May, Ross Levinson has served as interim CEO, and now it's Marissa Mayer. Mayer was Google's 20th employee, the first female software engineer at Google. She was largely responsible for Google's home page and, in recent years, has headed the division that includes Google Maps, Google Earth, and local and street view functions. So obviously she is smart, clever, creative, and inventive. And she's going to need all that and more because Yahoo is a company that's in trouble. The company's stock has fallen 41% over the past five years. So one of Mayer's first challenges will be to try to reverse that trend. Interim CEO Levinson had already described the direction he wanted Yahoo to take. Mayer and Levinson had worked together previously when Mayer was in charge of Google's Internet search team. And Levinson was in charge of the digital operations at News Corp. So we'll see how this works out. In the same week that NBC bought out Microsoft and converted MSNBC.com to just NBCNews.com, the company also apparently decided to work with Facebook during the upcoming Olympics. The relationship between Microsoft and NBC is an old one. It dates back to the very earliest days of the World Wide Web. But ABC, CBS, CNN, and Fox have their own news sites, and NBC probably felt a little out of place. NBC will pay Microsoft about $300 million for its part of the operation. The split isn't exactly news. It's been expected for a long time. Microsoft exited the cable TV channel operation about seven years ago, and that complicated the process for advertisers who wanted to buy ads both on cable TV and MSNBC.com. If you type MSNBC into your browser's address bar now, you'll see a new logo, and the address will change to NBCNews.com. Except for that, things remain about the same. For now. 
By the end of the week, the Facebook deal hadn't yet been made official and probably won't be until closer to the beginning of the games. The San Jose Mercury News, though, says that NBC will show a Facebook talk meter throughout its broadcasts in order to show what people are saying about the Olympics on the social network. On Facebook, NBC will have exclusive content on its Olympics page as well as promote some daily polls. The deal is expected to be cooperative in that neither side will pay the other for access or exposure. And NBC is also expected to work with Twitter during the games. This feels a little like Back to the Future Part 16. The European Union says that Microsoft has failed to allow some users to select which browser to install, and therefore it's time to step up antitrust investigations again. This is particularly important as it concerns the impending release of Windows 8. The European Commission has received complaints that Microsoft blocks efforts by other browser publishers to build software that runs under Windows RT. That's the version that runs on ARM-powered tablets, the lower-priced and less capable of the devices Microsoft will be releasing. The Commission says that it had already reopened its investigation when Microsoft omitted the browser choice screen from Windows 7 Service Pack 1. The new investigation also will examine charges that Microsoft has refused to provide full access to application programming interface data for Windows 8 and Windows 8 RT. Mozilla accused Microsoft of refusing to provide APIs necessary to build a competitive browser for Windows RT several months ago, and claimed at the time that Microsoft had provided complete API access only to Internet Explorer 10. Only IE currently runs on the RT version of the Windows 8 operating system. You'll have to pay attention here. This takes a few twists and turns. A British judge says that Samsung's tablet isn't as cool as Apple's iPad. And that means that the Samsung Galaxy did not copy its design from Apple as Apple had charged. Furthermore, says the judge, Apple must place a statement on its homepage in the UK stating as much. Samsung's tablets are called Galaxy Tabs. The judge says that in addition to stating on its website that Samsung did not copy the iPad, it must also run ads in British newspapers to correct any impression that Samsung copied Apple's design. The website announcement is supposed to be posted for six months. Here's where it starts to get a little confusing. Samsung had also asked the court to forbid Apple to claim that Samsung had infringed on Apple's design rights, The judge essentially said that Apple could have any opinion it wanted, and it can continue to make such claims. So Samsung didn't infringe, and Apple must say so publicly, but Apple may also continue to say that Samsung did infringe. Sometimes I have a lot of trouble trying to understand these legal rulings. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.